0: Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life in person or online. We're on a series called The Journey. Everybody say The Journey. Great, oh right, and I'm Melissa by the way. Okay, I'm Melissa Blackwood. I'm one of the youth pastors here at church. And if you've got a teenager from grade 7 to 12, please bring them to CLY on a Wednesday. But also, our Ignite Retreat is going to be amazing. So, this is your invitation, teenagers. Okay, so we're going through a series called The Journey. And it's because we're launching this resource on our app. And it's ultimately, it's a tool to help you Walk out with other people your discipleship journey. So that's why we're going through this series. And um, in order to follow Jesus well, we have to put the right habits and practices in place. Am I right? I mean, habits and practices, this is my opinion, but habits and practices are what differentiates a believer from a disciple. Right? I mean, a lot of people say they believe in God, but that doesn't change nothing. Right, they got the got the same struggles. They're doing life the way they want to do it. Nothing really changes from a belief. But it's when we actually, for a disciple, it's about changing your habits and your practices, daily choosing to follow Jesus, making his way our own way. That's what makes us a disciple. It is a journey. And my sermon today is about the habit or the practice of Christian community and fellowship. So, as I've been studying this, um, like, I knew fellowship was important because it's in the Bible a bunch, you know? So, you're like, it's got to have some meaning and significance. But then, as I'm reading and studying, I'm like, this community and our fellowship together is actually a key spiritual practice that we need to disciple, to be a disciple. Um, So... I want to look at why we need Christian community, what it should look like, and how to get it. So, why do we need Christian community? Um, I'm going to be reading kind of the verse today that we're looking at is Acts 2, 41 to 47, Um, but I'm going to give a bit of background before I read this verse. So ultimately what's happened is the disciples are in an upper room in Jerusalem and they are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, it descends on the believers, and then Peter, full of faith and boldness, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes out. And in Jerusalem at this time, there's a festival happening. So there are thousands of people in Jerusalem. And Peter boldly preaches a message. Okay, so this is where now we land. Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And about 3,000. 3,000? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's a lot of people. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's amazing. This is amazing. So I have uh, an illustration, and this is a Nathan Finocchio illustration. We were at uh, the youth conference in Red Deer uh, last year, and he spoke. And he, this is his, and I'm stealing it because it was so good, and it was burned into my mind. Okay. Okay, so what does God do with all these new baby Christians? 3,000 baby Christians. What does God do with them, right? Because we read there are thousands of these new believers. So what is God's plan for all of these sweet babies? Is he like... Yeah, didn't get anybody in the teeth. Good. You okay? Great. You can pass the baby up. But does God... Does God punch those babies? He's like, see you later, little suckers. Figure it out. I'm feeding you to the wolves, right? Survival of the fittest. Is that what God does? He doesn't. It's just a really fun illustration. So now we know what God doesn't do, right? He doesn't kick babies. No, he doesn't. God, what God does, yeah, you can bring, does, is somebody keeping my baby? Are you keeping my, Danielle, give me my baby. Are you embarrassed? I'm embarrassed for you. Thank you, Brenda. You aim where you, you, like, you know, where you want it to go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's fine. We can work. We'll work on that later. No. God adds these new baby Christians to a body of believers. That's what God does, right? There was a group of apostles and disciples who were in that upper room, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And God added those 3,000 new babies to the already mature in their faith. So that is God's plan. God's plan is the church. This is his idea, that a healthy church would be one of mature believers that would feed and take care of and encourage and love the little babies. You keep... They need that sometimes. A little nurturing, you know. That is the great commission from Jesus. In Matthew 28, his last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He said, go and make disciples of the nations. Discipling someone is ultimately walking along someone else in their faith journey. It's encouraging them in Christ. It's saying, you know, sometimes saying those hard things. That's what discipling is. And, and, you know, that's the purpose. That's why we made this this journey, the tool called The Journey on our app. We made it so it's a helpful tool so you can walk alongside other believers in their journey. So don't discount yourself, okay? Okay. Because right now you might be thinking, no, 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 I can't. I can't hold babies. I got a weird thing with babies. Newborns, we don't, no, I don't touch them, right? But if you have been walking with Jesus for two days, I guarantee you, you can find someone else who's been walking with Jesus for one. So you, or if you've struggled in an area and God's given you freedom and you see somebody else who's struggling, look at that. We should all be looking out for each other in the faith. And just to further my point on needing community, you know, it's so interesting when we read the account of creation in Genesis 2, we see Adam in the garden, right? And this is, I'm talking about before sin comes in, I'm talking about the beautiful time, right? The good time. When Adam is in creational bliss, he is in perfect form. He is in perfect relationship with the animals and with the Lord, right? This is like, hmm, that sounds nice. And God is saying it's good. God's saying, oh, yeah, the whales are good. The mountains are good. The water is good. God's just saying things are good. Good, good, good. And then he stops. And there is one thing that is not good. And this is before sin. One thing that is not good God said it is not good for man to be alone. God himself is saying he is not enough for Adam. You know, Tim Keller, he said it beautifully. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. Every other ache, longing that humans have, the hunger ache, the sickness ache, the guilt ache, the lack of meaning in life ache, they all come from the result of sin. This is the one ache that is a part of his perfection. Adam couldn't even enjoy paradise without community. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without another human friend. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we are made for Christian community. And the church is God's plan for us as Christians. It's the spiritually immature and mature learning and growing together. So, Christian community is key to our walk with Christ. This is what we are made for. And so what is it meant to look like? Okay. So in Acts 2, what do we see? What does the church look like in its beginning, in the innocence, and in the purity, in the, you know, the newness of the church? What can we learn from them? Well first of all they are inclusive to add 3000 people to the congregation in one day that like think about that for church growth you guys like 3000 new people walking up in here are we ready are we ready but it could not have just been peter and the 11 disciples who welcomed each one of them and walked alongside them personally it was a group effort because what we know is that there were 120 disciples who were in the room who were filled with the Holy Spirit that day on Pentecost. So it was a group effort, right? So it reminds us as Christian community, we are all to be welcoming and inclusive and disciple makers. You know, we have a saying around here: first time you're a guest, and after that your family. It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? (laughs) You know, first time, come in, relax, enjoy, have a free coffee. Actually, you can have a free coffee any Sunday. But, you know, relax, you don't have to clean up after yourself, and you just skedaddle, enjoy yourself. But then after that, oh, you are us and we are you. (laughs) It's your family. You know, you are actually to be a part of the welcoming committee. You are meant to walk alongside others newer in the faith or newer coming in. You, it is our responsibility of knowing and discipling those coming in. I remember when I was a new Christian, and Pastor Monica comes up to me, I'm standing with my friends at church, and she comes up to me, and she's like, Melissa, you should go meet those new people. And I was like, me? What do I say? She's like, go, it's fine. You know, literally physically pushes me, because if you know her, she'll do that. And she pushes me, and you know, I have like the awkward, like, hey, I'm Melissa. And they're like cool. <laughs> it was awkward, you know. But I did it. And then what happens the next Sunday? Guess who shows up? Pastor Monica. You know, she's here all the time. But she, you know, she comes up to me again and she's like, hey, you should meet those people over there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, but I do it. I listen to my pastor. And she's just relentless. She's just, every Sunday she's telling me to meet these new people, talk and talk, talk, talk. And now, years later, I can't imagine not talking to new people. I cannot, um, it is a part of who I am. If I'm standing with my friends for too long, I'm like, dude, I gotta meet my other brothers and sisters over here, right? It's just now natural. It's awkward at first, let me tell you. you. You think, you're like, oh, Melissa, you know what to say. It's like, dude, I just did really dumb things for a really long time until I learned, you know? But it can't just be our pastor's or our leader's jobs, welcoming and discipling. It's a group effort. As Christ followers, as the church, we are meant to be inclusive and raise up disciples together. Secondly, what these people did is they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Devoted themselves. This means it wasn't a one-time decision. They made a commitment. They committed themselves, they devoted themselves to new habits and practices, learning about Christ, fellowship, breaking a bread. And I want to focus on the word fellowship for a moment, you know, because they, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And all of the details are important, but I think fellowship, we just don't use that word anymore, right? Or it's like this weird, cheesy Christian word where they're like, oh, we had a beautiful fellowship today we're just fellowshipping really hard. I actually don't know if anybody's ever said that. But, you know. But we don't use that word, right? We don't use the word fellowshipping, fellowship. But in in the pulpit commentary, it defines fellowship in Acts 2 as the common life of close brotherhood in which all that they did was done in common and all that they possessed was possessed in common so that there seemed to be but one heart and one mind amongst them. So this is about the heart in their meeting. So these people met. It actually even says in that scripture they met daily. And there was actions. You know, they, would, they were learning. They were worshiping. They were praying. But I think fellowship talks more about the heart, of like their heart towards one another. And I think the word that we can use to better understand fellowship is spiritual friendship. So I want to focus on this because we are under attack in our spiritual friendships You know, spiritually, we're under attack because that's just what the enemy does. You know, kill, steal, destroy, divide. He's that. But also culturally, I feel like we're under attack in our friendships. Um, And we justify it. I think now it's like we can justify not being friends with people, you know? And I think as Christ followers, we need to not let the world define spiritual friendship, but we need the Bible to define it, and we need to reclaim what fellowship actually means. So fellowship is deep spiritual friendships, and it is made only because of Christ, and it requires sharing. So, you know, to have fellowship or to have this deep spiritual friendship, it can only be because of Christ. You know, Cicero, who's an ancient Roman philosopher, he said about friendship, the very essence of friendship is not to look at each other, but to look at something in common. So what he is saying is what makes you a friend isn't that you come together and you say, don't you want to be my friend or let's have a friendship. It's what makes you friends is that you're both kneeling before something else. You're looking at something else, and that thing has captured your hearts. And that's what brings you together. Am I right? When you think of your friendships, right? Friendships can't just be made out of nothing. Friendships can't be made for friendship's sake, right? It's a common passion or a common adoration. That's how friendships are made. And if you understand, and if you have been changed by the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus... Oh, it changes you. It changes you. You know, it brings you to your knees. You're in an adoration of Christ. And so true spiritual friendship is first made when you are both kneeling before Christ, when you both are adoring Jesus, right? And it brings you together in amazing ways. I remember I was in Banff. um, This was during COVID times, and there was a lot of people in Banff, let me just tell you. (laughs) They were sick of being at home, okay? They were all in Banff. And and there was a commotion happening on this bridge that we were standing on. There was something happening in the water. And there was a bunch of people, like, watching what was happening in the water. And this man and his wife approached, and they were standing beside us asking what was happening. And I turned around, and I was pregnant at the time. And he's like, oh, you're pregnant. Uh, You know, praise the Lord. Can I pray for you? And I was like, oh, that's nice. I was like, I love Jesus. Like, that's great. You can pray for me. And then he was like, oh, you love Jesus? He, he had an accent. I can't do the accent. I I don't know. He, it was Eastern European. I don't know. But anyways, he's like, oh, you love Jesus? And he grabbed my face, and he kissed my cheeks. And he, he was like, greet each other with a brotherly kiss, you know? And, and I was like, wow, that was a lot. And... I, and it was also COVID, so I was like, extra, that's a lot. <laughs> and I'm pregnant, like, no boundaries. But that's fine, because we both love Jesus. <laughs> oh, right? But... It- but it's weird. But, you know, I had this bond with this weird man, you know. He was older. I he was interesting. But we had this strange bond because we both loved Jesus. We had this, like, understanding of one another, you know, that brought us together. And that's what we see in Acts 2. We see and these people have an understanding of the gospel. It changes them. It brings them to their knees. And it bonds them together in amazing ways. I mean, when two people fall in love with Jesus... They become friends. They become friends. Excuse me. No matter what, right? I have friends I would have never met otherwise if it weren't for Jesus, right? I have friends who, you know, deep spiritual friendships with people older than me, younger than me, um, new in their faith, old in their faith, different classes and styles and races and interests, bunch of different friends, and it's because we adore Christ. And that's what brings us together. So our past life or who we are now, it doesn't even matter. So to have true spiritual friendships, to have true fellowship, you need to love Christ first. And then this one, sharing. This is to have true spiritual friendships, we need to share. Because we see in Acts, there are actually four types of sharing. Their things, their heart, their faith, and their decisions. So they're sharing their things, right? We see that. They're sharing everything they had is in common. They're selling their stuff and they're giving it to those in need. They were having each other in their homes daily. You know, what was theirs was everyone's. And, and that's pretty incredible. You know, when you stop and think, it's like, do I live that way? Like, do I picture my stuff as your stuff? And even when we read the rest of the book of Acts, you know, as we see Paul planting churches and encouraging the churches, he is reliant on the church for living and for food. What enables Paul to actually fulfill his calling is the church's ability to share. It's the church's ability to give, bring him into their homes, to share their possessions and their food and their finances. Like a question, I, when I thought about that, I was like, what if by not sharing... We are actually withholding someone from their God-given calling. So I'm not, I'm not saying, like, go sell all your stuff. I'm not telling you to do that unless you really feel like you should. I'm not going to stop you. But, but, I, but honestly, it's not about selling all of our stuff. It's asking, am I, do I hold my stuff with an open hand to God? Am I willing to sacrifice for the greater good? So... They not only shared their possessions, but they shared their hearts. You cannot have spiritual friends unless you share your heart, your feelings, your thoughts, your pains, your joys, your true self. Another word for it that we love is vulnerability. Yeah, vulnerability. To be able, you know, for us to actually be able to pray for each other or if you have a need and for me to be able to give to that need, I need to know what's going on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. We have to know each other on a deeper level. There has to be this shared vulnerability. You know, Craig Rochelle uh, has a cool quote. He says, we may impress others with our strengths, but we connect with others in our weaknesses. Which is true okay, I don't like being vulnerable. I'm not saying, oh, it feels so great. Do it all the time. You know, it's not this awesome feel. It's scary, right? It's scary to be vulnerable. Because I think for most of us, we're like, well, what would happen if I opened up that layer, right? Like, I sometimes am just afraid. I'm like, will I be able to stop crying if I talk about that thing, right? Like, you get afraid of that. But also, it's like, if I'm honest about myself, will they like me? Right? We have those questions. But to be a Christian in the first place requires vulnerability before God. Because we have to recognize our sin. And we have to recognize all the stuff. And that only he can save us. We can't save ourselves. And that we need a savior. So we have to be vulnerable with Christ first. But then we need to be vulnerable with our church family. Others need to know the real us. Um, I mean, I have a friend who every time, you know, I cry and share my deep struggles and I'm like being vulnerable, she says to me, oh, Melly, every time you cry, it makes me love you that much more. But it's so true, isn't it? It's like you get to see another layer of a person and we connect with others in our weaknesses. So I'm not telling us to get vulnerable with everybody in the church. I'm not saying go, you know, telling everybody. But you need to be vulnerable with more than one person and less than 10. That's a random number I came up with. But I feel like it's a good number, right? More than one, less than 10 though, right? We need to share our things. We need to share our hearts. And these people shared their faith. They are constantly talking about the Lord. They're sharing the gospel. They're praying. In Hebrews 3.13, it says, exhort which is another word for preach, to one another daily. You have to have people in your life that are so close to you that you can preach the gospel to each other, or you will be deceived. You have to have people in your life who you authorize, who you allow to press you, to preach to you. You don't have spiritual friendship unless you're preaching the gospel to each other. I mean Proverbs 27:17 as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. Sharpening doesn't sound fun or pleasurable, but it's good. It doesn't feel good, but it is necessary in our faith walk. So they share their stuff. They share their hearts, they share their faith, and they share their decision. Okay. So Paul's journey in Acts is very interesting. He's planting churches. He's visiting churches. And in Acts 21, we see this group of believers who are pleading with, with Peter, Paul, Paul is the, the P name, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. So they're pleading with Paul. They're like, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. And commentators believe that these believers were probably people Paul had never met before and that this is a church that he didn't even plant. So this is a group of believers, just new friends, you know, that they're speaking over him and saying, don't do this thing that God's telling you to do, but we feel like God's saying you shouldn't. What what does Paul say to them? He doesn't say, how dare you? This is my business. They're saying, none of your business. You don't know me. Paul doesn't say that. He welcomes what they have to say. He welcomes what they have to say into his decision-making. He talks to them about it. They pray about it together. In this case, he still goes to Jerusalem as we know, but but he still allowed others into his decision making. And God uses others to speak into our lives. You know, Proverbs 11:14, for lack of guidance a nation fails, but victory is won through many advisors. So true spiritual friendship or fellowship is to share our things, our heart, our faith and our decisions. Here's the thing, okay. We can't expect that if we accept Jesus and we start following him that automatically we have these beautiful friendships, right? They, they easily just come into place so nicely. These friendships take a lot of work and time, sometimes years. It's like sculpting. God gives you the raw materials, but you have to work it. So if you are lonely and you want more friends... You are not dysfunctional. You are fine. You're lonely because you are made for people. God said it is not good for man to be alone. So it's actually in our perfection and in our creation, we are meant to be in intimate, deep spiritual friendships with others. But we have to be careful and do self analysis of the reasons why you might be lonely. It might be because of sin, because of flaws or mistakes that we're making. The desire for friendships is not a bad thing, but we have to do self-analysis. Okay, so I'm going to say, like, I'm going to be saying hard things about friendships and know that I love you, and also this points to me too. But one of the reasons why we may not have these spiritual friendships is because your friendship with God isn't passionate, because you're not kneeling before God in adoration. Maybe you're kneeling before a person or you're kneeling before the idol of friendship instead of Jesus. Or you might not have these spiritual friendships because you're kneeling in adoration to something other than God. So maybe you're finding friends with people around a different commonality. You know you have something else in common, but it's not God, right? That's not bad. It's not bad to have friends that you have things in common with, but you won't have deep spiritual friendships if it's not centered around him. So we have to make friendship with God more important than friendship with people. We have to get in with God more than we want to get in with people. And it's through our relationship with Jesus, he changes us, transforms us, makes us more confident or appealing. Like we're just, we become more attractive. Maybe you're on the opposite end and you don't want deep spiritual friendships. You're afraid of vulnerability, accountability, love, people knowing your business or being a part of your business. But we actually have to fight against not needing or wanting friends. Like, semi-consciously, I think we can put up walls, not even on purpose, really, but we can put people at an arm's length. We're like, I'll give you a little bit, but not all of it, right? And this makes sense because of the brokenness in our world. People move away, right? you You might have had deep friendships, and they move away. They leave the church, and you're like, I don't have the energy to make more. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Or people have just let you down. They've just hurt you. And you're just, it's like, I don't want to go back into that. Or you're afraid. You're like, what if they don't like the real me? Or you don't know how to get vulnerable. You know, if you decide that you don't want people, you are missing a key practice in your walk with Jesus. The less you want friends, the less we are like Christ. We are created for deep, intimate relationships with God and his people. And if you have deep spiritual friendships and you're like, man, I am winning. I've got some great friends. That's amazing. Keep at it and keep including others. Don't think that you've met, like, that. your limit is reached. God can always add in more and wants to. That's what I've found in my life. So as a Christian community, we are to be inclusive, devote ourselves to these deep spiritual friendships, that we would share our possessions, our heart, our faith, and our decisions. Okay, so how? How do we do this? How? Because this sounds really lovely, right? It's like, yeah, that sounds great. How do I do it? Have you seen our church, Melissa? Have you? Have you seen you? How do I? right? How do we love this way? But what we see is Paul is not the only strong and amazing Christian person who needs Christian community. There is a greater one, and it is Jesus. He had 12 of these deep spiritual friendships, and they never understood him, and they continually let him down. And he, they were always hurting his feelings. You know, you read the Gospels. Jesus is constantly sharing his heart and his deepest thoughts and trying to explain things to people. And they don't get it. They don't get it. Until after Pentecost, like, Jesus is like, okay, guys, I got to go. You're not going to get this. And then the Holy Spirit comes in they're like, oh, right? But he shared, like, what's amazing is that Jesus himself let people in. Like, God himself, he was already in perfect community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, happy, perfect, wonderful relationship. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. And Jesus let people in, his own broken creation into his life. He shared his things, his heart, his faith, his decisions with broken, foolish people. And, I mean, what I see over and over for these spiritual friendships to work, like when I look at Jesus and his friends, they only work because he shows them grace and forgiveness over and over again. Yeah. Like they're betraying him. They're denying him. They're disbelieving him, abandoning him, watching him be you know, unjustly beaten, and they're just standing there. Bad friends, bad friends. <laughs> and what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When Jesus, uh, he addresses Peter after Peter has denied him. What does Jesus do? Peter, do you love me? He asks him this three times. And we see Jesus forgiving Peter for his denial. So how do we make this work, like Christian community work? How do we have this fellowship? We have to extend grace and forgiveness to each other. We have to. And it's only we can only do that when we realize the grace and the forgiveness shown to us first. Man, he like he gave his life for us. Like we hear this a lot so then you know we can just kind of not really fully understand the depths of Jesus dying for us. But his blood was spilled on the ground voluntarily as our substitute. He paid the penalty for all of our failures to love one another. All of our selfishness, all of our pride, all of our misdoings, he came to pay the penalty for all of our spilled blood, right? Think of, when we think of all the ways that we've actually failed our brothers and sisters, like family and church family and those around us, like when we think of how we've actually failed people, he forgives us. Like he actually paid the penalty we deserve and that's death that's what we deserve and he forgives us not because we deserve it not because we did anything and that's what grace is but he did it because he loves us and he paid the price that we owed because he loves us and he did it to redeem us he did it to make us new so that we could actually be connected to God in a beautiful relationship but not just with God, with each other. Like he, Jesus did all of this to make this new. You know, He, man, it's just amazing like what he has actually done for us. And when we sink into that daily, when we sink into like the grace and the forgiveness Christ showed me, that changes my heart so that I can show grace and forgiveness to others, even when you don't deserve it. And I'm so thankful to all of you who have forgiven me and shown me grace. Because, you know, sometimes we're just blind to what we're doing. But when we understand this amazing grace, oh man, when we just, truly it is amazing grace that we've been shown. When we understand it and fall in love in an adoration for Christ, it changes us. And then we can show it to each other. And that's how this works. That's how we can be inclusive. That's how we can be devoted to each other in fellowship. That's how we can share our things. That's how we can share our hearts. That's how we share our faith and our decisions. It's your understanding, the grace, and the forgiveness of Christ. Yeah, in Ephesians 5 1 to 2. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's stand. Yeah, God, we thank you, Father. Lord, we are so thankful, God, for the grace that you've shown us, God, that. Yeah, Lord, that we, we continually mess up. <laughs> and God, that it's not based on what we are doing or not doing. But Jesus, you choose to forgive us time and time again. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for paying the penalty that was owed to us. And thank you for making us new, Lord. God, I thank you for people who are here today who are wanting to respond to that grace and forgiveness that you have shown them. God, people who, you know, you're you're opening eyes today, Father, to showing people your goodness, to showing them your love for them. And God, I thank you for those hearts that are being changed today. Jesus, we pray protection over them and that they would do this faith journey well in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for... For those of us who, I know that there's just so many things. I know that there's probably so many, you know, thoughts going on in people's mind, Father, of of areas that we either need your help or clarity on. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you know each of our situations, you know where we're at with community and with friends. And I thank you that you are a gentle God, that you're a gentleman that you don't come in to, you know, put shame on us, but God, you, you come in and you point us, Father. God, you come in and you convict us because you're showing us that you have something greater for us. And so where we, people have experienced hurt and they don't trust people, God, I pray healing over those hearts. God, would they have grace and forgiveness towards others and would they allow others in? For those who have a hard time being vulnerable, Lord, I just ask for opportunity. God, would you just give them clear opportunity with someone, Father, to be vulnerable with it. God, would you put the right people in our lives? God, for those who, with their spouses, they haven't experienced this deep spiritual friendship in a long time, God, would you mend marriages today in Jesus' name? God, would we be deep spiritual friends with our spouses God, as a church body, Father, we ask that we would be able to just show the world real love. God, I pray for those who need to forgive someone else in this congregation, whether it's actually verbally talking to them or if it's actually just in their heart forgiving. But God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that forgiveness would be on the hearts of your believers. God, would you heal? God, even where there is division in your church. Lord, would you, heal? would you heal those areas? God, where there's spiritual stuff and it's actually not even people stuff. Maybe we think our problem is with people. We're like, oh, this person, they're so nuts. But God, maybe it's actually a spiritual thing. God, would you reveal to us, Father, maybe there's stuff going on internally in us. Lord, you know there is just such a, man, a vast thing that that's happening in each of our hearts but God ultimately would we fall in adoration before you King Jesus would you have our hearts would you have our eyes and our minds God would you be our first priority King Jesus and then Lord help us have these deep friendships with one another in Jesus name we commit these things to you